This episode of the Oz Movie Geek podcast is sponsored by Kix. Kix is an online film and television retailer specializing in the latest Sony, Universal, and Paramount films and television shows. You can use the exclusive code OZGEEK15 to receive 15% off your order. Thank you to the wonderful team at Kix. Now to the review. Hello and welcome to the latest episode in the Oz Movie Geek podcast. I'm your host, Pato. It's been another minute. Um, I have been incredibly busy and I've been away and I'm finally getting it back to a bit of routine, which is good. Um, but I want to, you know, get back into doing some of these podcasts. I've been doing movie reviews still on my Instagram and Facebook pages, but these are just snapshot reviews with just really brief thoughts. I want to get stuck into delving into some of these uh, titles in a bit more detail and using the podcast to do that because I know you guys like hearing my thoughts on various things and I like giving you my thoughts on various things, especially film, television and sometimes games. Um, so yeah, let's um, let's get back into the podcast, shall we? Like I said, it's been a minute. Uh, my last episode was The Batman. Uh, if you want to hear my Batman spoiler thoughts, you can go and listen to that episode now. Uh, and I'm going to continue the comic book trend by reviewing Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, which swings its way onto 4K, Blu-ray and DVD uh, this week. You can pick up a copy uh, from Kix, uh, which I've left a link down below. You can use the code OzGeek15 to receive 15% off your order. That's OzGeek15. Uh, so use the link down below and you can pick up a copy of Spider-Man No Way Home on your preferred format. Um, now, I did do a, a brief snapshot review of this one a couple months ago and... Like I said in my initial review, it kind of represented something I was growing a little tired of in Hollywood, and that was using nostalgia as a plot device rather than developing an original story. Uh, I, I've come to like this film a little more on repeat viewing. Um, I've seen it a total of three times now, and I do think that it does things really well, but it also does things in a way that I don't love. But at the same time, I did overall have a good experience with this film and I do want to sing some of the praises of what director John Watts and producer Kevin Feige have managed to do here. And I guess to a certain extent, Sarah Pascal was involved um, in the production as well. So hats off to her. Um, I'll give credit where credit's due, even though I've had a very mixed um, experience with a lot of her titles that she's been involved with. But anyway, that's another point. Um, in, in terms of the Spider-Man trilogy so far, or the home trilogy uh, with Tom Holland, I'd say that this is probably the one I'm going to re-watch the most. I think it's got the most rewatchability. Far From Home suffered from that. I, I re-watched it after it uh, was released in cinemas, and whilst it does have some things that I enjoy, uh, particularly the relationship between Tom Holland and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio, I think that they're really good on screen together. And the reveal at the end of that film, which plays a huge part in this film, uh, and that is the reveal that Peter Parker is, of course, Spider-Man, I, I think that that reveal opens up many new doors that we haven't actually seen with the Spider-Man franchise before. And I'm kind of keen on that aspect because, I mean, now that his identity's out there and uh, the events of this film deal with that, it's an interesting concept because... I guess we've seen the effects that it had on Tony Stark to a certain extent and 
we, we understand, you know, the, the life of balancing your your fame um, and potential criminal activities if you're acting outside the law, which is what civil war does deal with. But I find that in a more realistic setting, and by realistic, I'm, I'm, I'm air quoting here, I'm more talking about, you know, the idea that a, a kid um, similar age to who, what I am um, you know, is sort of unmasked in a, such a public forum. And I guess the realism there is that we sort of have that about us as well on like social media and in our daily lives. And I, I appreciate that angle. And I think that that's one of the mature aspects that's touched on here that I really did enjoy. Um, but overall, yeah, I, I, I did enjoy this film and I found it a lot better on repeat viewing. So Without further ado, let's get stuck into this one. Um, like I said, it's been a while since I've actually done this, so we do need to, um, yeah, I guess get back into it. So without further ado, take it away, trailer. Ever since I got bit by that spider, I've only had one week where my life has felt normal. That was when you found out. When you botched that spell where you wanted everyone to forget the Peter Parker Spider-Man. We started getting some visitors. From every universe. Hello, Peter. You're not Peter Parker. I'm sorry, what was your name again? Dr. Otto Octavius. <laughs> Wait, no, seriously, what's your actual name? There are others out there. We need to send them back. So, Scooby-Doo this crap. You know, all this is kind of your mess. I know a couple of magic words myself, starting with the word please. Please, Scooby-Doo this crap. You're flying out into the darkness to fight ghosts. What do you mean? They all die fighting Spider-Man. It's their fate. I'm sorry, kid. Yeah, me too. Don't. Look, there has to be another way. There isn't. They're a danger to our universe. You're not gonna take this away from me. Peter. You're struggling. Damn everything you want while the world tries to make you choose. It's all my fault. I can't save everyone. What's happening? They're starting to come through, and I can't stop them. December 17th, exclusive. 
So Spider-Man No Way Home was directed by John Watts and stars Tom Holland as Peter Parker, Zendaya, Benedict Cumberbatch, Jacob Badalin, John Favreau, Jamie Foxx, Willem Dafoe, Alfred Molina, Benedict Wong, Tony Ravalori, uh, Marissa Tomei, and of course our two previous Spider-Mans, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. Uh, like I mentioned up the top here, you can see that this is a spoiler discussion, so I will be discussing these big elements, but by the looks of things, everyone saw this movie because it made almost $2 billion worldwide. Uh, one of the most successful films of all time. I think it's third all time now, which is huge. Um, and considering that, you know, it's off the back of a global pandemic, it's incredibly impressive. And I can imagine Marvel and Sony are frothing at the mouth thinking about the potential with this uh, character moving forward. Um, but yeah, I was uh, pleasantly surprised with my repeat viewing here. And I guess... The, I should explain my initial thoughts and what I thought when I was walking out of the cinema. Really, I was just, I guess, a bit annoyed um, at the reception of certain things throughout. Now, my big thing is that I feel that a lot of people have actually forgotten about the Andrew Garfield movies in particular. I, I feel that... There is this love and nostalgia for those films, but if you go back and watch them or you see their initial reception or even their reception up until Tom Holland was cast, I mean, everyone hated those films and I've rewatched them not too long ago and they're not good. So I don't really understand that. I, I love Andrew Garfield. I think he's a terrific actor, um, in my opinion. Um, but you've got two of the, you know, um, best actor nominees in this film of this year, Benedict Cumberbatch for Power of the Dog and Andrew Garfield for, for Tick, Tick, Boom. And, yeah, both are fantastic uh, actors, don't get me wrong, but I, I guess when I saw the film, there was a bigger reception, um, you know, for, for Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. I was like, really? I mean, I understand Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man getting the reception because... Spider-Man 2, in my opinion, is still the best Spider-Man film of all time um, and one of the best comic book films of all time. And if you go by comparison, The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is is not very good. It's, it's a really bad film. And, yeah, I don't know. I, I just thought that everyone was sort of looking at this film through rose-coloured glasses in that respect. I mean... You had Jamie Foxx return as Electro, who was really good in this film, but he was shocking in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, no pun intended. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just I just found that to be a little irritating. And the film does have a few plot holes, um, uh, which I'll get into briefly. Um, but when I discuss those certain elements uh, in the film. But overall... On, on repeat viewing, I just found myself to be a lot more relaxed and I was able to really take in what I was seeing, pick up on a few things I missed on my first viewing and um, I've seen it a, a third time now and, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's definitely improved in my eyes and I feel that the issues that I still have, you know, are, are just going to remain. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to get past those. I'm just going to have to accept them now. But in terms of the best film that this can be, I think that they got there. You know, I, I, I think that its runtime at 2 hours and 30 minutes is perfect. It's not a three-hour slog. Um, it, it doesn't feel like it drags in any points, and the pace seems very consistent, which I really liked. And tonally, it feels very consistent with the previous two films as well. 
Now, director John Watts, in terms of his direction, I found the previous two films to be very flat in that respect. They don't really have any flair um, to them. They feel very much like they're a studio product. And a lot of these Marvel films recently have felt like that. In this film, I feel that John Watts is able to explore, I guess, some more creative techniques behind the camera um, in particular, I guess, the opening montage uh, sequence of sorts that we get of Spider-Man um, dealing with the fact that he is, or Peter dealing with the fact that the world knows that he's Spider-Man. And it's handled in a way where we've got these really creative camera angles and we've got some really cool things going on um, with the character and some really sharp transitions. And it just felt really, really bold, um, if I do say so. Like, it, it, felt, it felt a little better and a little cleaner than the previous two films. I found Far From Home the previous film to look probably the weakest out of the three um and and homecoming has its moments but overall it it is very flat in terms of that direction um but i i really appreciate that he was given a bit more control here and it feels more like he's making the film he wants to make uh rather than having the studio with a tight grip on it and i i know kevin feige does have that grip over these products, but I mean, he's so good at what he does and he has such a vision of what he wants to achieve that I feel like that is completely fine for him to really, you know, tackle these films um, and give these directors that he obviously trusts a bit more creative control. Um, But on a technical level, I think in that regard, it looks really good. Um, The overall premise of the film as well it's it's creative and fun, and it's the only way that I think that a multiverse flick like this one would actually work in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't think, you know, bringing in more of the cosmic kind of stuff that they've done previously would really work, and I feel that they do it well here. Doctor Strange is the perfect catalyst and mentor um, for Peter during this film and moving forward. I really like Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange, and I'm quite looking forward to... Um, the Multiverse of Madness, I think it's going to be really fun and I, I, I love um, that Sam Raimi is getting a chance to direct another comic book film after helming the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man films um, and I, I'm looking forward to that. And I feel moving forward to um, some of these voices in ho- Hollywood in particular, like Sam Raimi, I guess in particular, he's, he's one of my favourite filmmakers of all time. If you're going off style... Uh, his style is all over those Spider-Man films. And I know that he had a bit of a rough time with Spider-Man 3 in particular, but, you know, from from the sharp close-ups of extras in those films to the snap zooms to the amazing Doctor, uh, Dr. Octopus um, sequence in the hospital, they're, they're Sam Raimi films through and through. And I would like to see a bit of that employed here in in the MCU, and I don't know how much of his style will be there, but I'm really hoping that it that does shine through. Uh, but going back to Spider-Man, I, I just found that the, the setup of the film was pretty good, you know? Like, Peter is a kid, and he's desperate. He, he sees the impacts of him being Spider-Man are having on his friends and family, and it's impacting their lives, and he feels a lot of guilt with that. So you understand that he's going to Doctor Strange, which what he thinks is a last resort, but Strange says to him, you didn't call the admissions office and ask for them to reconsider you? And we get a bit of a gag there. But um, there's a bit of irresponsibility uh, in Strange's actions here too. 
um, I, I guess he's trying to help Peter and he's like, you know, we've saved half the universe together. So, you know, we're, we're mates now. And we get a bit of back and forth with them. But at no point does Strange think, oh, this spell's actually really dangerous. Maybe I should lay down some ground rules and discuss it with Peter instead of we jump straight into it. And I realise it's the catalyst for the entire film. So we can't really criticise it all too much. But it did bug me a little because if you think about it, it starts to play on your mind a little and you're like, ah, that doesn't actually make a whole lot of sense. But anyway, we'll, we'll deal with it. We'll deal with it. Uh, but I really, really liked, um, I guess, the introduction that the multiverses have collided here and we get the Doc Ox uh, sequence on the bridge. And it's a fun little action sequence. There's a good exchange between um, uh, Otto and and. Peter, I, I thought they were really good together. Um, and then we get um, the realisation that the goblin's out there. And I guess uh, Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, Norman Osborn, is the main antagonist of this film. Uh, he's easily the most villainous. And I don't know what it is about Willem Dafoe, man, but he can act. Fuck, he's good. Um, he's so good here. I, I really liked his performance. And I actually thought that he lent a little more here to the the Goblin character than what we got in that initial Raimi Spider-Man film. There's a great monologue sequence where he's talking to Peter about, you know, um, the, the responsibility and, and you know, what these um, ailments are. Um, and I found that to be really, really strong acting. Like, it, it does this slow zoom on his face. There's ominous, you know, tones playing in the background. And Peter gets his absolute ass kicked by him and, Willem Dafoe's, uh, you know, he's getting up there. He's nearly 70. And I just found him to be just, like, enthralling on the screen. He was just so good. Uh, and I'm glad that they chose him to be the main antagonist there because Otto's character is too sympathetic. Um, and outside of Norman's greed, I know that he took Tobey Maguire's Peter under his wing a little. Um, and I was hoping that there would be a bit more of an exchange between those two, but... Um, I guess with the runtime, you can't ask for too much. Uh, we get enough, you know, the, again, I guess Peter's whole thing with most of his antagonists, uh, there is that, you know, mentor role, Otto playing that role in Spider-Man 2, and there's a nice exchange between Toby and, and Alfred Molina in, in this film, which I really enjoyed. Um, but I, I thought that that sequence in particular where Norman reveals that the, you know, that the goblin has taken over and Marissa Tomei's Aunt May does die. Um, on repeat viewing, that scene hit me a lot harder and I found myself to be, you know, getting a little emotional. I could feel the emotions rising in me. Um, still didn't shed a tear um, and I, I'm the first to admit when I cry in a movie, but I definitely felt it a lot more in in, in repeat viewings of this film and yeah, some powerhouse acting from Holland in particular. Marissa Tomei is fantastic. I mean, she's always fantastic. But, yeah, man, there's some really good acting on display in that sequence. And you just feel the weight of the world just get put on Peter's shoulders there. And it all comes to fruition when, you know, Ned's Ned's worked out that he's got a bit of a, um, of a Doctor Strange, um, you know, power going on there, a um, bit of a wizard. And uh, he brings Andrew Garfield and Tommy Maguire into the same world, or they're already there, but brings them all together. And, yeah, um, essentially Tom Holland finally meets the other two 
on the rooftop, which is established at the start of the film, and he just says, I'm throwing in the towel, like, you guys can deal with it, but I'm I'm done, like, I just can't take it anymore. And you get some good dialogue from Andrew and Toby just trying to make Tom Holland understand, you know, that you're not, you're not alone, like, everyone... We've all gone through this and you feel like you're alone, but you're actually literally not right now. You've got other people around you who have gone through the exact same thing. So use that. And I really like that because it feels like something that needed to be said. And take away Aunt May's death. Like, look what Tom Holland's Peter Parker's been through. You know, like he finally had a mentor with um, Danny Jr., you know, and and that relationship. And now he's gone. Like, he he's... He's running out of heroes, and he, he put in a you know a, a little faith into Jake Gyllenhaal in Far From Home, and that backfired as well. So he would definitely have some trust issues, and the way that that all plays out, I just found it to be really satisfying, and I really liked that there is that relationship and that brotherhood between them. Like it all feels very realistic, and on that as well, the chemistry between our three leads um, with Holland. Um, Zendaya and Badaloni. Uh, uh, I hope I'm saying your name right. Um, Ned. We all know Ned. Um, I, I thought that their relationship is really, really solid and very realistic. And coming from someone who's in a pretty tight-knit group of friends, uh, I see that, you know, like that feels very real to me and I can see that relationship and I really enjoy the way that they're all, you know, interacting with one another and it, it just felt very realistic. And even MJ's character, you know, she's a bit of a pessimist. She she doesn't have that I don't know, that 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 awareness of, you know, of, of what's going on some of the time. Like she she's I don't know the word, but but she she is a bit pessimistic in particular and I feel that the way that her character grows here too because she has someone now with Tom. Um, I keep saying Tom, but Peter, you know who I'm talking about. I'm, I'm just going to have to call them Tom Holland, Toby, and, and Andrew moving forward. Otherwise, I'm going to get confused myself. Um, but, yeah, that their relationship is really strong. And, you know, she finally has someone in him. And when that's taken away at the end of the film, when, you know, everyone has to forget Peter Parker, um, it's pretty hard and... You know, there's logistical issues, and I guess I'll get into that now. Um, some, some the biggest plot hole in the film. Um, we see videos. You know, Flash has written a book. We everyone knows that Peter is Spider Man at this point. Um, and then Doctor Strange casts a spell at the end of the film to to forget who Peter Parker is. But all of those materials are still out there, and as far as I'm aware, um, he can't you know mess with reality. Um, in terms of getting rid of literally every piece of physical media that's out there, um, you know, condemning Spider-Man and identifying Peter Parker as Spider-Man. Um, you know, how does he get a house at the end of the film? He doesn't have a social security number or anything. Like, he shouldn't be able to rent. All of that literally makes no sense. And you can put up whatever argument you want to, but at the end of the day, you're going to explain it away with Doctor Strange magic, and that's a plot hole. Um and I find that to be a little irritating, but at the same time, unless you go into so much detail and exposition, how do you get rid of that? And I understand that from that perspective. But anyway, that's just the, the one of the glaring issues I have with the film. Um, I, I guess while I'm on the tangent of negatives, 
The other thing I will mention is the special effects to me are very inconsistent. I've mentioned this in my reviews of the Marvel TV shows as well as some of Marvel's recent uh, output uh, in the cinema arena as well. There's some pretty underdone visuals in these films and I think the biggest comparison you can make is putting side-by-sides of like the lizard in this film to the lizard in 2012 Spider-Man, uh, The Amazing Spider-Man. It, the lizard looks better in The Amazing Spider-Man and it, it literally does. Put them side-by-side. There's more texture, more detail. They look better rendered. Um, I was quite disappointed in that. I expect a movie that costs as much as this does to be polished and complete and those special effects just feel very underdone. Um, there are some improved visuals, like Electro looks a lot better. Um, the the look of him, um, you know, with the yellow electricity rather than the blue looks far better. And I, I like the look of him in this film more so than what I did previously. But Doc Ock's arms as well, I know that they were predominantly practical back in uh, Spider-Man 2. They looked far better than the CG ones that he had here. And I know that there are some scenes where they use practical ones. You can see the behind the scenes um, on the 4K, which has tons of special features, by the way. Um, and you see some of those visuals and you're like, oh, okay. So they do have some of that behind the scenes footage there. But why didn't they use the practicals for most of the up, up close shots? Because there's some shots where, you know, Doc Ock's using those arms and you're like, they just don't look right. There's something off. Like, use the practicals for those up-close and personal shots. Um, but outside the visual effects and some of those plot holes, that's where my negatives really stop because everything else is pretty clean-cut. I feel that Toby, you know, feels like his character as well, um, and that goes down to the writing. Um, Andrew doesn't feel like his character. He's very mopey in those Spider-Man films, and that's one thing that they don't carry over here. Um, especially with the amazing Spider-Man characters as well, because like Jamie Foxx's Electro is a completely different person in this film to what he is back in the Amazing Spider-Man Two, and the biggest one is Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. Now you can say that he quips and he makes jokes and whatnot. He does to a certain extent, but like ninety percent of that first movie in particular is just literally him moping, and then the second movie he's moping, and like. I get that they want to make him more likable and appealing, but he's just not the same character. So the arguments, you know, that Andrew's the best out of the new, like in this film, Andrew is really good. And I would say that he probably is better than Tobey Maguire in this film, but his Spider-Man still doesn't feel like the same character. Um, and I take a bit of issue of that with the tone. Um, but overall, um, where this film ends up, you know, we have our big climactic sequence where they're all flipping around everywhere, fighting at the Statue of Liberty. Um, it's fun. It, it really is fun. Um, and moving forward, I would like them to go back to, you know, basics with Spider-Man now, which is kind of what they did at the end of this film. He's completely stripped back. Um, he's made his own costume. Uh, we see that he's bought a sewing machine and he's literally made his own costume. Love the vibrant colours of the new costume. My favourite Spider-Man outfit is from the 2012, I think it was, 2012 to 14 Nickelodeon run show, The Spectacular Spider-Man. And I love the blue and red in that that TV show. And this one felt very much like that. I really liked uh, the use of blue and red here. It pops on the white snow at the end of the film when he's swinging through the city. But I really, really enjoyed it. 
Um, and Spider-Man's involvement in the MCU moving forward, I know that Marvel's negotiated a new deal, so we'll probably get a, another trilogy, I would say. And if we get six Spider-Man films with Tom Holland, then they're going to touch on a lot of shit. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, we get a, Ven- uh, a Venom cameo, which I mentioned in my Venom Let There Be Carnage uh, review. There's an after credit scene in that film that shows Eddie Brock from the Sony-verse of films, which now has three titles to it. We've got the two Venom titles and Morbius. Um, and we see that um, you know Venom's been transported to this world and he's in a bar telling a story and he's getting an update of what the MCU's been pretty much to this point. And he leaves behind a little goo. So there's talk of what that goo is going to represent, you know, who it's going to affect and who's going to end up with it. Uh, in my opinion and what I want to see happen is... I don't want it to go on to Flash. I don't want it to go on to Ned. I want it to just go on to someone completely random. I, I, you know, bringing in all these characters to give them a certain, you know, power or give them a larger purpose in this story is unnecessary. I was a little annoyed that Ned now has the wizard gift. Like, I don't need that. And I, I understand representation in film and stuff, and it's cool to have another, you know, um, Asian performer to come up um, with Benedict Wong's character. That, that is really cool, and I can understand the appeal to that, but my problem comes more broadly of giving it to everyone. You know, if you make Flash now a villain, it's like, okay, is the principal or Hannibal Buress's PE teacher going to become a villain now too? Like, we don't need everyone to have superpowers. It's okay to be the character. Like, I think, for instance, Zendaya's MJ offers so much as her character that she doesn't need to be a super a superhero, you know, for that to happen. She she's got enough going on, and is one of the more endearing and engaging characters in the in the the film. So I, I feel like we don't actually need more there. Um, but overall, guys, um, in in terms of the film, like I said, I, I enjoyed it a lot more um, a second and third time around than I did when I saw it in cinemas. And whilst the cinema-going experience was a lot of fun and I was obviously anticipating this release, I just found after I had time to think on the film and I could kind of calm down and reflect on the overall product, I just found myself to enjoy it a lot more. I didn't have that expectation. I didn't have that built-up resentment for the nostalgia bait because I was able to just let it play out like it does and it's a really entertaining time at the cinemas and I guess since then as well, I've seen Ghostbusters Afterlife, which I enjoy for the most part, but it still has its issues in terms of how it deals with that nostalgia bait. And I feel like Spider-Man does it in a way that's a lot more clean cut and a lot better handled. So I enjoyed that a lot more. And I feel that if you want to watch this Spider-Man trilogy, the one that you're going to keep coming back to is far uh, is No Way Home. I, I think it's the strongest um, out of these three films. And I really like Homecoming because I think Keaton's Vulture is a really good character. I like the mentorship between Robert Downey Jr. and Tom Holland. I really like all that stuff. Um, and Far From Home is an important film in the MCU because it's the first film after the events of Endgame. So I understand its importance. But I feel like the strongest film is definitely this third film. And I think... Like I said, it's going to have the most rewatchability because there's so many entertaining sequences, whether it's the Spider-Man fighting at the end of the film, whether it's, you know, Spidey trying to help these villains, trying to cure their, their ailments. I, I just found it to be a really entertaining film. 
So definitely check it out, guys. I'm going to give a recommendation on this one. Like I said in previous podcasts, I'm kind of moving away from a rating system as such. You'll get ratings in my snapshot reviews that will reflect my my general thoughts. But in terms of podcast moving forward, I'm just going to tell you if I, if I recommend it or if I don't recommend it. And I recommend this one. I think it's definitely worth your time. Like I mentioned at the start of the podcast, you can pick it up on DVD, Blu-ray and 4K Ultra HD from the good team over at Kix. So head on down to Kix. The link is in the um, bio here. And use the code OZGEEK15 to receive 15% off your order. That's OZGEEK15. That brings this review to a close, guys. I'm going to have more content coming at you more frequently. I really appreciate you listening to this review. Share it with your friends, rate and like the podcast down below, subscribe as well so you don't miss another episode, and until next time guys, peace out. This episode of the Oz Movie Geek podcast is sponsored by Kicks. Kix is an online film and television retailer specializing in the latest Sony, Universal, and Paramount films and television shows. You can use the exclusive code OZGEEK15 to receive 15% off your order. Thank you to the wonderful team at Kix. Now to the review.